Well, hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving, and it is officially Christmas season, right? And I feel like it gets earlier and earlier every year. And uh, some of you out there, you've, you've been ready for this, uh, for this season for a couple months. I know Micah has had his office decorated for two months. My wife's been listening to Christmas music since July, I feel like. Um, Stinkin' Hallmark has been playing their Hallmark Christmas movies uh, since, when, when was it, October, I think it was? Um, I feel like it gets earlier and earlier every year, and uh, whether or not you're on one side of the argument or not, uh, when it's right to celebrate Christmas, uh, it's December 1st, and I think we can officially say it's Christmas time. Merry Christmas, right? Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, Um, sometimes, right? Sometimes it's anything but that. I know Christmas can be busy and overwhelming and stressful and even depressing for some families. But here at the North Canton Chapel, we've committed that we're going to slow down. We're going to reach back into an ancient tradition. And we're going to, um, to celebrate as a church um, something that the church has been celebrating for many centuries. Something called Advent. And if you're anything like me, you, you maybe didn't grow up in church um, looking at Christmas or looking at the Christmas season through the lens of Advent. I know I didn't. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, and that's okay. But I believe Advent is a tradition worth capturing and worth participating in together. Maybe this morning you're wondering, what does Advent even mean? Well, the word Advent comes from a Latin word, which means the coming or arriving of a notable person, thing, or event that helps us get into the right posture of celebration. It really just helps us capture this this spirit of anticipation, of expectation, of the coming of Jesus. So this morning we start a four-week series through Advent, all our days. And here's the idea. Traditionally, Advent hangs on four words or four ideas that shape how we ought to engage in this season. One of these words, or each one of these words, speaks to the birth of Jesus and how, that, uh, how it shapes our heart and how it shapes our activities um, around this season of why his birth is so important for us. And many of you, know, many of you guys know these words, right? Hope, uh, peace, joy, and love. And at Christmas Eve, we'll come together as the culmination of all of this anticipation, and we'll celebrate the arrival of of our Savior, Jesus, right? So the idea behind calling it Advent all our days just really speaks to what we're here about at the North Canton Chapel. You know, we want to be the church that makes much of Jesus every day to everyone. And our prayer is during this season that God would, that you would see God's invitation to you to step into this season uh, that he's created for you. Uh, to live it with hope, to live it with peace, to live with joy all of your days. And that's where we're going. We're going to go that, that route for the next month, so hopefully you join us the next three or four weeks through this Advent series. And uh, I'll take an, an opportunity to echo the things that have already been said this morning. Man, we've got some resource tables here in the lobby and then also in the children's lobby. Uh, we believe that these resources are a great way for you as a family to, to get around God's word, to um, experience what the coming of Jesus looks like in your home. There's daily devotionals that you can read and walk through as a family. Uh, There's free resources, and then there's also resources available for purchase. And we want to just encourage you guys to stop at those tables and pick those things up. So today we're going to zoom in on the first word of Advent, hope. What is hope? We use the word all the time, right? I started off this message by saying, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We use that word all the time for preferences of weather, of sporting events, 
and, uh, or even things that we want for our birthday or for Christmas. Uh, we say things like, you know, I, man, I hope it will stop raining today so I can go outside. Or I hope, you know, I, I hope it gets warmer this afternoon so I can get my lights up on my house, you know. Things like that. Uh, for, for various sports outcomes, we say, you know, man, I hope the Browns win today because if they win today and they win next week, we actually could be in the playoffs, right? Um, we say things like, I, I, hope the Mich- I hope that Michigan can actually field a team for once because that game was, like, terrible. I mean, it, it was not good at all. We use the word hope for all kinds of things. It was a great game, yeah, by the way. Uh, hope is more than wishing or crossing your fingers or just this unsure optimism. You know, optimism says that I'm choosing to see in any situation how the circumstances would work out for the best. Webster's Dictionary defines hope this way. He says, hope is to have confidence in a future event, the highest degree of well-founded expectation. You know, I've heard it said this way that you can measure where your hope is found by what it takes to discourage you. Think about that for a second. Think about the things that have discouraged you this past week, this past month, or this past year. You know, it's our disappointment or our discouragement uh, that maybe even the unrealistic expectations that we've set for something, um, that ultimately we've placed our hope in those things thinking that it's going to turn out a way and, and that it doesn't end up that way. But we've all done it, right? There's things, there's people, there's situations that we ultimately put our hope in. Whether it's a future promotion at work, whether it's your education, whether it's a a business endeavor, whether it's your 401k, your bank account, whatever it is. Maybe you're hoping in the government. Um, Whatever it is, we all put our hopes in certain things. You know, we put our hopes in these things sometimes unconsciously hoping that things are going to work out a certain way that they're going to fill us up, that they're going to satisfy us, that they'll ultimately deliver us or provide satisfaction. And for some of these things, they do temporarily for a season. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just in the middle of a crisis or in the middle of a situation and you just, you just feel like it's not going to ever change. You feel like you've lost control. You feel like you've lost the ability to, to change your life. That feeling is a feeling of hopelessness, Right? The reality is all things in this world, apart from Jesus, leave us hopeless and depleted. I want us to all know this morning that as we start this Advent season, there is hope. Hope is something that we can attain, we can have, we can possess because of Jesus. You see, hope is a word that's used over 200 times throughout the Bible. Hope is not based upon circumstance It's not based upon perceived optimism or pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or or, or just saying what if, but true hope is based on a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So this morning, a definition of hope that I'd like us to kind of work with is, is a confident expectation for better days based upon God's fulfilled promises that ultimately motivate and change how we live all our days. Let me say that again. Hope is a confident expectation for better days based upon God's fulfilled promises that ultimately motivate and change how we live all of our days. So hope is a good thing. And that's exactly where we're going this morning. So I want us to see hope beyond just this season. Just beyond this season of hope of Christmas. I want us to see that hope is something that we can experience every day. 
See, in Jesus, we have a promised hope. We have a present hope. And we have a future hope. Let us pray, and then we'll jump into God's word together this morning. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you so much for the opportunity to look to you in all things. We recognize that there are things in this world that we put our eyes towards that ultimately will not fulfill us. That Jesus, in you, we can have hope. You are our greatest hope. And Father, help us to recognize that today, to remember, to reflect on that so it motivates us to live lives changed from the gospel. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in a few different texts. So if you have your Bible, uh, if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9. We're going to be in Isaiah. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat ahead of you. Um, you can take that home with you today as our gift to you today if you don't have a Bible. So uh, also you can use it up here on the screen or on your smart devices as well. So today we're going to be in a few different texts, so bear with me. First thing I want us to see this morning, that is in Jesus we have a promised hope. You see, God had been priming his people for hope since the very beginning. But why did God have to provide hope? Why did God have to provide a Messiah? Well, if you go back to the beginning and remember the story found in Genesis, there was a big problem. The problem is that humanity, mankind, sinned against God and essentially rejected God and said, God, no thanks for telling me how to live. I'm going to live my way instead of in your intended ways. And because of our sin, there was a result of that sin. We were eternally separated from God, and death fell upon all mankind. You see, God, from the beginning, provides hope by saying he's going to send one who would be the remedy for this brokenness. You probably don't even know that the first gospel is actually recorded in Genesis chapter 3. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3 some, some other time, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we see this picture of, of God kind of laying down the curses of, of, of what's happening after the fall. And the thing that he says to the serpent is interesting here. I want you to hear this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Catch that. He said, and he will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this text in Genesis 3.15 is suggesting that there is one who will one day come and put an end to the rule of evil and darkness and brokenness and Satan altogether. Because you and I sit on this side of the cross, we have the complete revelation of God. We know that there is one who came to provide that hope, that remedy. And that person is Jesus. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, there's this thread of promises that run throughout Scripture that point to uh, one who would come to provide hope. This morning, if you're in Isaiah 7, I want to zoom in on a prophecy found in Isaiah. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before Jesus was born. And around this time of the year, it's possible that you've heard these prophecies before. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and we find one also in Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. I think it's important for us to look at Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 as a whole, as kind of one, uh, one specific word from God through the prophet Isaiah to, to King Ahaz 
Um, and, and kind of a little bit of context here. What was happening was King Ahaz was, a, was an evil king, okay? He was the king of Judah, and um, he had disobeyed God's, uh, God's covenant and God's ways. And what Isaiah was saying was that um, your disobedience would ultimately come at a cost. That Isaiah was saying from God, God would give you a sign that, um, that from around you, these, these empires, these nations around you would actually oppress you and destroy you. But God would provide this sign if you would just follow him. Okay? Let's pick up in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, this sign that Isaiah proclaimed to uh, God's people was, was, this, uh, was this real fulfillment, was this real uh, message of hope that they could have amidst all of their brokenness and all of their disobedience. But what happened was King Ahaz said, you know what, if, if I... If I accept this sign, if I obey this, then I'm going to be obligated to, to follow after God, and I don't want to do that. So if you take time to read through Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, you see this big, complete picture of what judgment and destruction look like um, for God's people. If you look at Isaiah 8, 22, you see this picture of gloom and hopelessness. Uh, gloom and hopelessness. It says this, it says, and they took, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Like I said at the beginning of Isaiah here, um, it, it's important for us to see all of these as one prophetic message. And uh, you see this shift happening. You see this message of warning and judgment, but you also see this message of hope. Let's pick up in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, and, and, and see what this prophecy or what this promise of hope says from the prophet Isaiah. It says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. You have multiplied our nation. You have increased its joy. For the yoke of his burden, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with all righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. You know what's interesting is Ahaz was a descendant of David. Um, and was a king of Jerusalem, Ju Judah, the southern kingdom at that time. And the specific word from God to the people was, was this message of, of deliverance, but it was a message of hope. And when you read this, we ultimately see these prophecies tied to future fulfillments. Those of you who have been around church at any, uh, any stretch of time, you understand that these are the prophecies that are read during the Christmas season. But it's important for us to see that this is not just any prophecy. This is not just any specific word spoken. That these cannot be fulfilled in anybody else other than Jesus. Jesus would be the son born of a virgin, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. You see, this greater promise was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and if you read in, in 9, 10, and 11, in chapter, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Isaiah, 
you would see, some, some would say that you could see an immediate fulfillment, but these all point to a, a future fulfillment ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. You know, the message of Isaiah was one of a promised hope, one centered around deliverance. And the same hope that we have um, is, is that same message, that if we fear God and we trust his word, his rule and reign, that we could know this hope. So we have a promised hope because of Jesus. The next thing I want us to see this morning is we have a present hope. You know, the only safe way to interpret prophecy in, in the Bible is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, this is a great fulfillment of this prophecy or this fulfilled promise that was, that was given through Isaiah 700 years prior. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 23. Listen to what Matthew's gospel says here. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what God, or what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And catch this, it, it refers back to Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God promised it over hundreds and hundreds of years prior, and he delivered on his promise. I think what's interesting when you read that account in Matthew chapter 1, you see the specific names that God says to name this Messiah. He says, name him Jesus, right? The word Jesus means one who would save or the God who saves. And then he says, name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus came to be with us, to die for our sin, and to rise again, providing the ultimate hope that we could ever need. You see, the hope of Christmas is actually the heart of the gospel. That Jesus came so that we could be reconciled back to God and have a right relationship with him. And we celebrate that hope not only this time of year, but every day. You know, we have something that the people of the Old Testament didn't have. We have, uh, we have the ability to look back at the truth of God's word to see what happened they were always looking forward, anticipating what would happen. You see, because of Jesus uh, coming and living and dying and rising again, we have his incarnation. We have the truth of God recorded in Scripture. God's word says we can draw near to him, and because of Jesus, we can have access to God the Father. Throughout the last couple months, we've been in this vintage faith series, and um, you know, we, we looked through Hebrews chapter 11, um, verses 1 all the way through. And it, let me pick up in verse 1 for a second. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith and hope are kind of two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. But what's interesting about this is for God's people across time and centuries, hope was always just out of reach. They knew something was coming, but they could not ever get it. And Hebrews 11 is, is really the story. If you go back and listen to the last seven weeks uh, of our messages here at the North Canton Chapel, you'll hear all of these stories of faith. 
Faith in something that they, they hoped for, but they never saw. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, all of these people were looking forward to something. Generations after generations, hoping for something that they never saw. What kind of faith is that? That's a, that's a pretty strong, powerful faith. Hebrews says that they died in faith knowing that God was doing something greater. You see, church, you and I have this very present hope because Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. The author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 6, 19, that we have this hope that is an anchor for our soul. It is firm and secure. You know, the idea of an anchor for our soul, we need something to help us Stay true in the midst of the storm, right? Stay strong in the midst of all the troubles that this world has to offer, all of the, the, the fiery darts of the enemy, right? We need something to hold ourselves to and to anchor our lives to. And God's word says we have that hope in Jesus, that hope in Jesus is an anchor for our soul. That hope is certain. Jesus is this very present hope, and he's a present hope that is available to all. I like the way that Titus um, puts it, or in the book of Titus, it says this, Titus 2, 11 and 12, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the gospel is something that has appeared through Jesus, this present hope, and it's something that that is, is transforming and working itself in us and shaping us each day to continue to provide hope each and every day. See, we go on to read verse 13. It says, waiting for our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last thing I want us to see this morning, we saw we have a promised hope, we have a present hope. The last thing I want us to see is we have a future hope. You know, Advent is all about anticipation and waiting for a God who keeps his promises. And like I said, we don't have to wait for that because Jesus has come. We can rest in the fact that he is who he said he is and he did what he said he would do. Hebrews 10.23 says it like this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. We have a God who is faithful. I don't know about you, but waiting is one of those things that's pretty challenging, Right? It builds character in us, and it builds like this, uh, this patient endurance in each one of us that uh, if you've ever had to wait for something, uh, man, it just, you either talk yourself out of it, or you really, really, really grow to, to know and, and love the thing that you're waiting for. Uh, my wife and I are in this season of waiting right now. My wife is about 31 weeks, 30 weeks pregnant of our son. We are finished we believe um if god would allow us to be finished we're good with that we've got four daughters and we're going to finish off with a son but this season of waiting uh is hard but waiting does something in your soul and it matures your faith as you wait on jesus so this future hope that we wait for similar to those that waited for the coming of jesus is, is a hope that is growing and shaping and molding us all of our days you see, those who are in Christ have this future hope. God's word says in Ephesians 2 that those who are without God are without hope. So hope that is not just for today, but for all of eternity. The hope that you and I have if we are in Jesus Christ is that we will one day spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. 
and with those who have gone on before us. And that is a blessed hope, as it says in Titus. Ultimately, we know that we have a, a God who is sending Jesus to come back for his bride, right? That is that blessed hope that we can wait and, and live and expectantly anticipate um, th- that as well. John 14 says, I will come again. Jesus is Jesus' words here. It says, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you will be also. We have a God who keeps his promises. We can take him at his word. You see, it's, it's in God's past faithfulness that motivates us to live a life filled with hope for all of our days. As we wait expectantly and live obediently, we, we actually grow and we are shaped into this blessed hope that, that Jesus has for us. You know, it's a kind of expectant hope that transforms who we are. And I believe that's the beauty of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. Right? We no longer have to worry about our past, but we can believe and have hope in the fact that we have a God who is shaping us each and every one of our days. This morning, if you don't know that hope, we'd love for you to know that hope, the hope that is only found in Jesus. This morning, as we get ready to close, I want to I want to draw our attention to four things that hope changes. See, hope changes us. Hope transforms us. When you know the one and true hope found in Jesus, it changes us. The first thing I want us to see is hope changes how we see ourselves. Hope changes how we see ourselves. When we have a hope that is found solely in Jesus, our identity is rooted in his promises and what he says about us and not what our circumstance says or what other people say about us, right? So this hope that we have changes how we see ourselves. Let me encourage you, take time to spend time in God's word and, and, and remember the truths of God and what he says about you because it's gonna be those things that continue to provide hope for you all of your days. Go to Ephesians chapter one. Recognize that you are chosen by God. You are an heir to the throne of God that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, so that in any day and in any situation, you can look to God and rest and bank on those truths about who you are. Hope changes how we see ourselves. You know, we would be a more hopeful people if we saw ourselves the way Jesus saw us. Take time to grow in that this year, and especially during this season, to remind yourself of who you are in Jesus. The second thing that hope changes is it ch- hope changes how we see our situation. So hope changes how we see ourselves. Hope changes how we see our situation, right? Fairly basic. But what I know is a right view of God stems from uh, or leads to a right view of our situation. And the opposite is also true. A, 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 a wrong view of our situation stems from a wrong view of God. You know, when our situation or circumstance seems big or too big for God or out of control, uh, we can realign our focus to where, where do, what do we believe about God? How are we living in light of that? You see, it's, it's more than just choosing to have the right perspective. It's recognizing that there, there is another perspective, that sometimes we are not seeing things rightly. I heard a story, it goes like this. There was a, a little boy sitting in a dugout, um, and uh, there was a fan that came up to him and said, you know, hey, hey, buddy, uh, what's the score? And he goes, you know, 18 to nothing, we're down. 
And he goes, you're down. He goes, why are you, why are you not defeated? He goes, well, we haven't batted yet. Um, the, the hope of sitting there expectantly of saying, man, we're, we're losing by 18 runs. But you know what? We haven't hit yet. I have confidence in what we bring to the table, what we bring to the plate. Like, what if we would, what, what if we would view hope that way, of seeing it from a different perspective, that God, what God has for us is so much greater than our situation? See, hope changes how we see our situation. The next thing I want us to see is hope changes what we value. Hope changes what we value. You see, where we spend our time, our talents, and our treasures, those are the things that we ultimately are finding our hope in. Whether we believe it or know it or not, those are the things that we're finding hope in. You see, if we we look at where we spend our time and money and resources and and all of those things, like it's pretty convicting sometimes. Um, Those of you who have smartphones, it's it's convicting just to pull up your, your, your phone and look at your screen time and the separation of how you've used your screen time and whether or not it is honoring to God. I know it is convicting for me. Um, So as we look at those things, it it shows us what we value. You see, when we love Jesus most, our affection for other things should diminish. Colossians 3, verse 2, it says that we are to set our affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So this morning, let let this be a reminder to all of us that when we know the hope of Jesus, it changes what we value. And lastly, hope changes how we live. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we would live for God. You know, John chapter 10 talks about this Christian life being the abundant life. And uh, we all want that life, right? Living life to the fullest. And in Jesus, you can have the abundant life. But living living life in, in light of God's fulfilled promises is what helps motivate and shape this hope for you all of your days. You see, God's plan of bringing hope to a lost and dying world is you and me. Is that you and me would be faithful to proclaim and demonstrate the love of Jesus everywhere we go. Colossians says it like this, right? That Christ in you is the hope of glory. That in us, we bring Jesus to the places and spaces we go to to help bring hope and healing in in, in a better word than, than anything we come to the table with. So my prayer is, church, that through the celebration of this Advent season, we'll we'll have a renewed hope. We'll recognize what Jesus has done for us, the promise that he's made, the way that he's fulfilled it, and the way that we have a God who is present, and the way that we can anticipate and live obedient because of uh, of the, the future hope that he has promised. We can draw near to him during this season and all of our days because of what he's done. I like the words of a great hymn written by Edward Moat in 1834. It says, my hope is built on nothing less, right, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Church, let that be our prayer during this Advent season and all our days, that we lean on Jesus for hope. Because he is the one that is the the, the giver and the sustainer of all that hope. Let's pray this morning and close.